0: We would like to begin this podcast by acknowledging that the land on which we record is the occupied, traditional, and unceded territory of the Stalo First Nation.
1: For me, it's a real privilege to be able to do that with the youth and to trust two sorts of things. One is it is for my own personal faith, the sense that God is big enough, great enough, loving enough to be able to meet kids where they are. And, and that can look a lot of different ways. But it's also this trust that healing takes time and healing doesn't look the same for everybody, and we can trust, for me, I can entrust to the care of God that what a youth needs to do for this particular incredibly difficult season, that God can, God can work with that, and, and God has their long-term interest at heart.
0: Welcome to the Ending Poverty Together podcast. I'm Shalane, and we're here to discuss big questions about poverty in bite-sized ways. Katie Smedley is an ordained minister and spiritual care practitioner at Covenant House Vancouver. Katie and her husband, Matt, live with their four children in Vancouver. Welcome to the podcast, Katie. Thank you, Shalane. It's great to have you here, and I'm excited to learn more about Covenant House. Uh, But before we jump into that, I'm wondering if we could begin with having you finish the sentence, poverty is complex because... Poverty is complex
1: because trauma is complex. And mm-hmm. we find at Covenant House that trauma is at the root of every experience our youth bring in. The The mm-hmm. reason that they're homeless, the reason that they need our support, it all mm-hmm. goes back to trauma.
0: Hmm. Okay. Well, I think we will probably explore that a little bit more as we go. But perhaps for listeners who are not familiar with Covenant House, we could start by having you just explain what happens at Covenant House. Who are you and what do you do?
1: So Covenant House is an organization that provides services to youth experiencing or at risk of homelessness. And those services are multifaceted, wraparound, and very much based on what is best for the individual youth that we're serving. Some of those services include what you would imagine, a mm-hmm. shelter, housing, the things that go with it, food, um, a bed, laundry, all those sorts of things. And then mm-hmm. it's also related to the holistic well-being of the youth. So we provide mental health services. We provide referrals to, for example, uh, detox or harm reduction, resources, and we also provide referrals to medical supports, clinics, doctors, that sort of thing. Mm. Every youth has a social worker. Every youth has a team of youth workers that is there for them as they navigate their way through this experience of homelessness, and ideally, hopefully, with every good intention, to a place where they're no longer experiencing homelessness. Mm. Spiritual care is one of the supports that we offer, and that's the support that I'm in charge of at Covenant House. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is not greater than, less than. It's just one of the many supports that we recognize a youth who's experiencing homelessness may desire Mm -hmm. as part of their their surviving this difficult period of time and and hopefully moving on to a a place of thriving.
0: Right. What might that look like for a youth? I'm curious to sort of explore and unpack a little bit more of all of the different services, but because your area is the spiritual care, what might that look like for a youth who comes into contact with you? So
1: if a youth comes in and spirituality is already a source of encouragement, strength, and inspiration, then Mm -hmm. what it might look like is a very tangible kind of support. So let's say, for example, in the process of becoming homeless, a youth has lost items that are really vital to their own spiritual practice. If they're Muslim, a prayer rug or a Mm. Quran. If they're Christian or Catholic, a Bible, rosary, um, prayer journal, that kind of thing. If they're pagan, then um, crystals, gems, uh, tarot cards, that sort of thing. We operate on the mantra of one size fits one. So, when it comes to spirituality, mm-hmm. that's very much true as well. And, mm-hmm. and some of our youth do come in very keenly where, this is my spiritual path, I'm happy with it, I want to strengthen it. Is it possible mm-hmm. to, to get these particular items? So, that's, that's one way that it can look. Mm-hmm. For some of our youth, though, they come in and the clarity around their spiritual path is not there for a number of reasons. Sometimes, mm-hmm. part of the trauma that our youth bring in is spiritual or religious trauma where they've been um, excluded from a community or even experienced abuse within a community or family that's that's bound up very much in their own experience of spirituality or religion up to that point. When that's the case, spiritual care can look like sorting out what has been supportive for them, Mm
2: -hmm. what
1: can no longer be supportive or helpful to them, and what the path is that they want to pursue going forward. So maybe they have a vibrant sense of there's something more to this life. There's a greater power out there. I know I'm being mm-hmm. watched over, but it can't look anymore like it did in their growing right. up years. So that's they can meet with me or I can refer them mm-hmm. to other communities to explore what that path of life and health and well-being looks mm-hmm. like in relation to their spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, and every once in a while, uh, interestingly, I am working with youth to step away from spirituality. Um, hmm. If spirituality has become entangled in, for example, some really significant mental health struggles, then sometimes mm-hmm. it's a matter of saying, you know what, this, this practice that has become a burden, uh, hmm. we're going to work, on, we're gonna work on, on setting that aside for right now. Maybe you go back to it at some point, but we're going to work on setting it aside for right now and figuring out hmm. in a similar way to the second situation, what is it that will bring you life and strength inspiration and encouragement right now. And and maybe it can't be X, Y, or Z that it has traditionally been.
0: Right. Yeah. You know, um, I see that the purpose of Covenant House is serving all youth with relentless support and absolute respect. And that's what I hear in what you're talking about is a respect for where an individual is at that particular time and what they need. And I think you summarize it so well with that one-size-fits-one.
1: Yeah, it's it's incredibly important in spirituality, I think. I mean, it's incredibly important for all aspects of a person, but
2: mm-hmm.
1: I think for those of us who come from spiritual traditions, we would always want spirituality to be a source of joy and encouragement and life. Hmm. And if it has instead become a means of oppression, and self-hatred, and death, then we want to give them not a specific path, Mm -hmm. but a sort of redirection to explore what what might be. And for me, it's a real privilege to be able to do that with the youth and to trust Mm -hmm. the sort of to trust two sorts of things. One is it is for my own personal faith, the sense that, that God is big enough, great enough, loving enough to be mm-hmm. able to meet kids where they are, and, and mm-hmm. that can look a lot of different ways. But it's also this, this trust that healing takes time, and healing doesn't look right. the same for everybody, and we can entrust to, for me, I can entrust to the care of God. That what a youth needs to do for this particular incredibly difficult season, um, mm-hmm. that that God can God can work with that, and that and God has their long term interest at heart.
0: Mm-hmm. It's just so beautiful to to know that you are being present to these youth without an agenda, is what it sounds like to me. Absolutely, yeah. And it, I mean, they yeah. the youth are awesome. Like they could sniff yeah. out an agenda a mile away, right? So. <laughs> Right.
1: <laughs> A so like water. I couldn't do the job without it, but B it's so important for me not to because for so many of these mm-hmm. kids, you know, like they've experienced agendaed or manipulative care. Right. They have, you know, it's not yeah, it's not their fault. It's not even sometimes like the caregivers, they you know, they're just completely clueless that's what's happening. But sure, what they what they what we want, what we desire, what we aim for here at Covenant House and including spiritual care is to see clearly the youth in front of us and mm-hmm. for them to see clearly that our intentions for them are for life and for well-being and, mm-hmm. for, and for a future they want, a future that they're on board for, mm-hmm. not just one that somebody's telling them, you know, it has to be this, that, right. or the other thing.
0: Right. So, you know, you've mentioned that these are um, at-risk youth, youth who are experiencing homelessness. Who are these kids? Can you describe for us like who might find their way to covenant house as i mentioned
1: at the beginning it's youth who've experienced trauma that find their way to covenant mm-hmm. house and one thing that we're aware of is that what serves as trauma for one youth may not be what serves as trauma for another mm-hmm. youth so there's there's right. not sort of a there's not a, oh well it, you know it needs to be this bad or that bad for somebody to end up at covenant yeah. house it, it doesn't what, right. what has to have happened, though, is that there has to be a severe breakdown generally in relationship, whether that's mm-hmm. with their, their, own, uh, their own immediate family, their extended family, mm-hmm. with their community. There's some kind of breakdown in relationship, and that breakdown may come because of external factors like mm-hmm. racism, colonialism, um, other things that we know seep in and shatter communities and right. families. Uh, or it could be internal stuff, or internal dynamics that are that are at work. Mm-hmm. Um, homophobia is one. Transphobia. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes gender-based violence. Like there's there's different aspects. Um, mental health struggles as well for the immediate family mm-hmm. that make it so that a youth is no longer safe in the place that they should be safe. Right. And having said all of that, youth that are experiencing multiple levels of these things tend to mm-hmm. show up at our door more frequently than others so for example mm-hmm. we have a disproportionate number of queer youth who make their way to covenant house mm-hmm. we have a disproportionate number of indigenous youth who make their way to covenant house we have a disproportionate mm-hmm. number of refugee kids who end up at our doorstep by you know with stories that would i think twist any of our hearts but mm-hmm. it's it's those those multiple layers of trauma internal mm-hmm. and external that land a 19, 20, 21-year-old kid homeless and needing support.
0: Mm -hmm. Just on a practical note, what is the age range that you consider youth?
1: Our age mandate is 16 to 24. Generally speaking, under 19, we we are really trying to work with the Ministry of um, Children and Families to make Mm -hmm. sure that they're in a different setting just because there are challenges that come when you've got teenagers in with young adults, there's just, you know, there's different things to, that you need to be factoring in yeah. for their safety and well-being. Um, the average age of our youth is 20 to 21, but our age mandate goes up to when they turn 25. Unfortunately, that's when they are no longer eligible for our services, and that's true for any mm-hmm. agency or organization mm-hmm. that serves young young people.
0: Mm-hmm. So, when a youth arrives at Covenant House can you just walk me through what, what will they experience? What would that look like?
1: So generally speaking, there's two different ways that they arrive. One is mm-hmm. to arrive to what is called our community support services, which is drop-in and outreach. So this is where they're coming in and having extremely immediate urgent needs met. Needs for food, needs for a shower, needs uh, for clean clothing, um, whether that's washing the clothes they have or getting new clothes from, from our clothing room. hmm they walk in, they give their basic information to make sure that they, you know, if they are in, in that age ma- mandate. Mm-hmm. And then they come in and they connect with our youth workers. who find out, mm-hmm. you know, what's going on in their life. What's, what's brought them here? Are there mm-hmm. supports that they're particularly interested in or needing to have um, offered while they're at Covenant House? And then there's some really significant, important relationship building that happens. A lot of our kids come in with, with extremely well-founded trust issues. And so mm-hmm. building that relationship is critical, whether it's at our drop-in center that I just talked about, or if it's in the second situation, which is where they come in for one of our shelter programs. Mm. So mm-hmm. when they come for the shelter program, there's an intake process that takes place just to make sure we understand what the situation is that they're, they're coming from, and if there's anything that we just need to be mindful of and caring well for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So they go through the, an intake, some forms are filled out, and then they're, um, they're given clean clothes, Everything's washed uh, according to bed bug protocol, because unfortunately that's something that, mm. um, you know, our youth get exposed to. Mm-hmm. Um, they're given a meal. Uh, often they're given a meal while the intake's actually happening because they're quite, mm-hmm. you know, quite hungry. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they're taken to their room. Our, our rooms are either one or two youth in each room. So generally speaking, two youth per room, but they're, they're given okay. their bed, mm-hmm. their bedding. They're shown, um, they have their own bathrooms in there so they can shower um, post intake as well. And then they're given 72 hours just to relax, just to Mm. take a breath, get used (laughs) to to their surroundings, to to feel safe. I would say ideally 72 hours is enough for youth to feel safe. It's not in the real world. Like it takes time. And that's where that relationship building piece comes in. For 72 hours, it's just relationship building. It's just saying, this is where where, and when and how the meals happen. This is Mm -hmm. your roommate. This is, you know, these are your youth workers. Uh, This is your social worker. And then after that, the youth begin to build a plan. What is it that I need supported with while I'm here at Covenant House? What are goals I want to work on? Is there something Mm -hmm. that I really need support with that um, because of However chaotic or difficult the past few months or years have been, I haven't been able to to focus on. Mm-hmm. And so many of these, they know, like, that's not a, it's not a difficult question. Like, they know what they would, what they would like to work on. But instead of having to do it in the overwhelming situation of, I have to figure this out on my own, they've got mm-hmm. caring adults around them, a team of staff.
0: Yeah, I can just, I can only imagine how difficult it is to think about your goals and what you want to achieve when you're just trying to figure out what you're going to eat and where you're going to sleep tonight. No, for sure. They're
1: like, when
0: a youth walks through
1: our door, in my mind, they're heroes already because mm-hmm. they have done the difficult thing of surviving Yeah. and pushing forward mm-hmm. to get their needs met and, and get what, in my view, in what they deserve, to get the, the dignity, the respect, the safety mm-hmm. that they deserve. But they need that safety and stability for a while to be able to do the things that I believe God created yeah. them to do. Like, we all do. We yeah. all need that. We, we know what of the course. hierarchy of needs are. And, yeah,
0: exactly. And
1: you can't be worrying about, you know, the kind of job you want to have if you aren't sure where you're going to sleep that night or, you know, if your mm-hmm. next meal is going to come in today or tomorrow. So the two things are very much connected. It's not just, like you said, it's not just having the voices there to help guide them through the process, it's also Mm -hmm. having the stability and safety to be able to even think about those things. Mm
0: -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when someone is in, what did you call the the housing scenario? So
1: we have two different housing settings. One is a crisis program, which we have, which is divided by gender. So our trans and non-binary youth can choose where they feel most safe mm-hmm. and then okay. folks who then men are in one program and women are in another program and like i said mm-hmm. the the folks who don't quite fit either one of those things they have the choice yeah. where they want to be we have crisis programs are our shorter term shelter when i say short term mm-hmm. like i don't mean like they get you know two weeks or three months or whatever and, and that's it it's very much what is their plan and, and how long do they need support for and are oh, they okay. able to go live on their own
0: okay they could actually be there for five days or a couple months?
1: Uh, some of them over a year.
0: Oh, wow. And that's considered part of the crisis? And that's housing.
1: considered part of the crisis, crisis program. And Okay. And unfortunately, the housing situation being what it is in mm-hmm. the lower mainland, we have seen that the time that they need to be with us stretch out, not because they're not actively right. working or actively in school or actively doing all the things they need to do, but mm-hmm. just because housing is so hard to find. And that's a bit heartbreaking, yeah. right? Like you see, because no, nobody kidding. wants to live in a shelter. Like, sure, they, they, yeah. you know, they prefer to be on their own. They prefer to be able to cook their own food. Mm-hmm. They prefer to be able to do a lot of things, but but that's not always possible. So that stinks. Yeah. But there is a second program that is a shelter mm-hmm. program as well. And it's called a Rites of Passage Program. It's for, it's, it's a minimum one year program. And mm-hmm. it's for youth who are either full-time in school mm-hmm. or full-time working or a mix of, you know, part-time work, Uh part-time school, but it's for youth who are ready to live more independently, but also would benefit from more wraparound support for at least Mm. the next little bit of time. So they Mm -hmm. still have social workers, they still have youth workers, um, and most importantly, they have a life skills worker who's there to help them build Mm. on life skills that they identify, I need to know this, or I need to be able to do this before I'm going to to transition really well to independent housing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so those are our shelter programs.
0: Right. So in the world that I work in, it what you've just described is really kind of the difference between relief and development, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. the relief mm-hmm. being that short-term, somebody needs this in order to survive, and the development being the longer-term walking with until someone or a community is ready to be self-sustaining. Um, so that's, that's very exciting to me to hear that that's happening with these individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, what size of team would you say typically surrounds, like you talk about the wraparound support, how many people might that include for a, an individual youth? So it would be at least six to seven
1: youth workers because the youth workers that are assigned. They stay assigned to the same youth no matter how many times that youth comes in and out. It's not like they come in, let's say they have to discharge because something happens. Something happens and they're not able to stay Mm -hmm. in our our shelter anymore. When they come back Mm -hmm. in, they have the same exact team of youth workers because we recognize Mm -hmm. that building relationships takes time and trust and we don't want them to have to to build a a new relationship every time they come Mm -hmm. in. So maybe six six youth workers, and I'm counting the ones that are overnight as well because we provide 24-hour care. Um, mm-hmm. A social worker who is operating mm-hmm. under the same model, same social worker, whenever the youth comes in or out of our services. Um, if they're referred to a mental health practitioner, then they would have that person as well. Okay. And um, if they work with me, me mm-hmm. as well. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. So that's while they're in shelter. But if they if they do leave, even if they don't go to ROP, but they leave and they they secure some kind of housing, they would still have mm-hmm. access to our drop-in and outreach team, which could be another okay. likely you know, two that they would regularly engage with, but that's uh-huh. a safe place for them to go back to. So if they need to do their laundry or they just need to do a check-in, they need help mm-hmm. moving, that kind of thing, they can still access that team. So, it's, mm-hmm. so we're talking about maybe 10, 10 people, mm-hmm. sort of 10, mm-hmm. 10 to 12 people looking out for them while they're, yeah. while they're here.
0: Wow, what a beautiful community to surround them with.
1: Yeah, it's pretty great. I yeah. I adore my colleagues and mm-hmm. I feel like there's a great sense of shared purpose and mm-hmm. shared passion to make sure that these kids have the best shot they can
0: mm-hmm. when
1: when they move on, move on
0: past mm-hmm. Kevin Mhm. Speaking of the staff, how how do your staff stay healthy? Because this vicarious trauma experience and dealing with these youth who just must have some incredibly tragic stories that you're being present to these people and this is their real-life experience. How do you stay healthy? How do you stay well in all of this?
1: One thing that we really drive to practice here at covenant house is uh first the mindfulness about the whole thing to recognize our own internal states Mm. when we're Mm at work and when we're away from work and then to do what we need to do with those internal states to be to be well ourselves and in turn be able to care well for for those around us um for me that looks like like doing that check-in while I'm at work and if I'm Mm -hmm. if something difficult has happened which does uh, Mm -hmm. then to to plan into my own time what I need to recharge whether that's going for a walk or um, Mm -hmm. putting my headphones in and and disconnecting for a bit or um, (laughs) it's it's kind of sad but it's necessary we have these things we call the cry chairs in in our office Mm -hmm. for just you know those times you just got to gotta let the hard feelings out and that and the great thing is that's normalized no one feels like i have to be on all the time we recognize you know what Mm -hmm. we're human beings and this does hurt and and not only can we take care of ourselves which is is an important component but we can talk to each other about it i would say that's one of the most important things is that Mm. we do talk about what's happened We're we're all assigned to teams. Nobody's nobody's an island. So we have teams. Um, When a difficult things thing happens, like we lose a youth, then debriefs Mm -hmm. are available. Um, Sometimes Mm -hmm. I help to lead those, um, but -hmm. I also have my own debriefing process. Mm -hmm. And then Covenant House is um, extremely generous in our benefits when it comes to counseling and therapy. Like wonderful, amazingly generous. I've never I've never. Seen or heard of a workplace mm. that values the mental health so much that they put their money behind mm-hmm. it, and it and it really is critical for not just for myself but for my colleagues as well.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, you need you need healthy, emotionally present people available to work with these youth, and so that costs something to the organization. but That's so beautiful to hear that they, that Covenant House is fully supportive in that way.
1: They are. And, and I feel like, especially through the pandemic, I feel like that messaging was so clear. It wasn't just said, but there were concrete steps that were taken Mm -hmm. and, Mm -hmm. and our, we just watched our counseling benefits (laughs) increase over the pandemic, which I felt was really, you know, it, it, it was a sign of that, um, that love and respect that we're offering to our mm-hmm. youth, we're, we're offering it to mm-hmm. each other too in very concrete ways, and that that makes dealing with vicarious trauma and dealing with the difficulties of loving and caring for these kids, it does make it so much more bearable.
0: Mm-hmm. Katie, one thing I was curious to get your perspective on is I think that within Canada there are many negative stereotypes about adults who live in homelessness and who experience homelessness. Do youth experience that same degree of stereotyping as we I would say is is unfortunately true for adults? I would say when I talk to our
1: donors or um or just within my own community, people find out what i do i I mm-hmm. experience significantly less judgment. I feel like there's mm-hmm. there's a real understanding that a kid who becomes homeless at 19, 20, 21, that in some way they have not been done right, that, that there's mm-hmm. a, there, there's something that has happened and it's not mm-hmm. it's not a choice. Whereas I feel like when folks are talking about, you know, the downtown side, talking about significant um, collections of homeless folks, that that mm-hmm. judgment rears its ugly head In ways that as someone who works in homeless services, like, I kind of understand, but the science doesn't back it up. Like, the judgment, it doesn't make sense because we know that there are certain predictors, like, very concrete predictors for youth homelessness and for adult homelessness. And they're all along the same trajectory. So, for example, the number Mm -hmm. one predictor that someone will end up homeless as a youth is to be in foster care. We know that. Like, statistically, Mm -hmm. that's, that's a reality. And we know that the number one predictor for someone to be homeless as an adult is to have been homeless as a youth. So right. these experiences of trauma, because foster care it is itself, it's a declaration that trauma has happened. It's a, and it's mm-hmm. often, unfortunately, intensifies that trauma.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That doesn't get erased when someone turns 25 and is suddenly not a not in that young person mandate anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel like if more folks understood that, that the judgment would hopefully be lessened Mm -hmm.
2: because,
1: yeah, because it is all on the same stream and it is, the, the roots are the same. And I would like to think we could all put ourselves in the shoes of folks who end up homeless and say, well, what, you know what choices mm-hmm. c- could i have been what what was even a choice what was even a choice right. if i had the unbearable pain that this person yeah. had experienced would i would i have the capacity to do differently and mm-hmm. you know I, that should that should force some compassion i think
0: mhm and it really calls us to be in relationship with people doesn't it to not look at people as this group but to have that individual relationship and to be able to be present to someone which you guys do so remarkably well so it's you know it's it's an encouragement to me and I hope to our listeners to find those opportunities to listen and to hear people's stories.
1: Yeah and I think too to you know to trust to trust the stories when they don't come from those individual relationships right like Mm -hmm. I feel like it's it's such an interesting thing sometimes when folks put forth these solutions who are not in any way connected with those experiencing mm-hmm. the problem. Right. It's like, right. well, don't you think folks know, folks who are experiencing things have some ideas about how it could or should be different? Yeah. And, um, and yet
0: how often are those people not at the table? Yeah,
1: they're not at the table. They're not at the table. They're on the menu, right? Like, that's the sad reality. Yeah. So, yeah, letting people advocate for themselves and... and if we can, be in power and part of a solution to do it with the wisdom of those who are experiencing mm-hmm. the problem.
0: hmm Katie, our time is coming to a close here. Is there anything else that you would like to end with as we wrap up our time? Anything else that you were hoping we would chat about? I just
1: want to affirm again the incredible strength that the youth I work with bring. hmm mm-hmm. I want to honor that while at the same time acknowledge that there is so much collectively we could be doing Mm -hmm. so that they are not required to survive what they've had to survive. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. the idea that we're responsible for each other, that in my tradition, loving our neighbor is as important as loving our God, Mm -hmm. that we would really take that seriously because there are things that we as communities can be doing to Mm -hmm make sure less kids end up at the doors of Covenant House. We will love them and respect them with all of our Mm -hmm. hearts when they do come, but there are things we could be doing, investments we could be making right now Mm -hmm. that would make it less necessary or less inevitable for them to end up at our doorstep.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: So, Katie, if listeners want to get in touch with you or want to learn more about Covenant House, what would you suggest is the best way that they do that?
1: So you can go to our website, which is uh, covenanthousebc.org, and that will give you a great, mm-hmm. uh, a great overview. There's uh, phone numbers on there that you can call or email, uh, social media sites that will give you all the information you want or mm-hmm. um, the opportunity to connect with, uh, with someone on our staff who can give more information um, about ways to help. I'm on Twitter, but that won't necessarily help you learn more about (laughs) the work we do here. It will just give you some of my
0: stronger opinions. Um, Okay. uh, Could be an educational opportunity, though, for people. For sure. For Mm -hmm. sure. But, um,
1: yeah, we welcome engagement. We welcome engagement. We welcome um, support, whether it's it's financial donations or prayer. I— My own church, I tell, on my hardest weeks, knowing that they're praying for me, (laughs) makes a really, Mm -hmm. really huge difference uh, because, again, Mm -hmm. it's the feeling that you're an island or that you're alone or that it's all on you Mm -hmm. that really drives us out of this work and knowing that we're not alone Mm -hmm. and we're all in it together, it helps us keep going. Mm
0: -hmm. Well, thank you so much for what you do, and thank you for spending time with us here today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: To explore what your next steps could be or find out more about FH Canada and Covenant House, start by checking out fhcanada.org resources.